0: Hello, my name is Sarah Atkins, and I'm one of the Associate Ministers here at Holy Trinity Claygate.
1: Hello, and I'm Andy Atkins. I lead Arosha UK. It's a Christian environmental and nature conservation organisation. And I happen to be married to Sarah, as you may have noticed by the names.
0: Welcome to our conversation this morning about harvest, faith and the environment. Today, we're going to be thinking about harvest at Holy Trinity, along with many, many hundreds of churches across the UK. So Andy, what was harvest like for you growing up?
1: Well, strangely, I don't remember it at all until I came to Britain when I was about 11. I think that may be because where I lived in tropical Australia, it was very wet much of the time. I don't think we had the same sort of seasonal patterns as we have here. I do remember food all around. Uh, We could just go out on the beach and spear a fish or we could go up into the hills and pick berries. Um, It was a very, very, you know, tropical and and alive place with food but no harvest that I recall. How about you?
0: Well mine was a, a full-on traditional English country harvest. Um, I lived in a rural village in Hampshire as you know and for weeks before harvest festival the streets would be just full of combine harvesters and wheat and straw and dust everywhere and the village really went to town. The church was full of apples and potatoes and beans, which would be shared out to the older folk of the village afterwards.
1: The quintessential British rural harvest festival.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think, to be honest, I just took it for granted. I didn't really give it much thought at all. But Andy, what really got you interested in the environment and nature um, as you grew up?
1: Well, as a, a bit like you perhaps taking harvest for granted. I think I took wildlife for granted because, as I said, I lived in, in rural Australia. We were surrounded by wildlife. I always loved it, but it was just kind of there. Like all little boys, I enjoyed chasing the odd snake or, you know, pulling legs off a frog or whatever you did. Um, but I didn't think all that much about it. But when we came to Britain, um, I lost all the hobbies. I, it, was, it was cold and wet half the time. I couldn't do half the things I did in Australia. And I got quite depressed, actually and uh aunt sister of my mother recommended that i they get me into bird watching i thought that was a crazy idea why would you want to walk around in wet fields following birds Um, but i got really really into it and it kind of saved my mental health at the time and really i started to learn properly about nature i started to look up different birds in a book i was given and start to take an interest in how they get here in the summer migrating from africa suddenly a whole new world opened up for me and it's never really stopped since, as you know.
0: (laughs) I, if you remember, wasn't uh, quite so keen on nature from quite such an early age.
1: You just pretended.
0: (laughs) I did. Uh, When I first fancied Andy, he was very into bird watching and so I have to confess I did pretend to be into birdwatching myself but it didn't take very long did it for me to get fascinated your parents
1: saw through it instantly
0: yes yes they did and also those long country walks we went on that they used to laugh into their hands thinking "Oh, she never did this with us but um, it was worth it so could you explain a little bit more things like the phrase food security and stuff which we hear about in the news and which obviously as a geographer you studied how is food security linked to nature and how we treat the environment
1: thank you very much very good question yes Uh, I I mean quite simply without good soil regular rainfall the sun at the right time the temperature at the right level we can't grow food or we can't rely on getting the food when we need it Um, Think about it, the seasons in Britain. What's that about? Certain things only grow with certain temperature, which is why we in fact end up growing during the spring, the summer, celebrating harvest in the autumn, because that's when things come. If you undermine the basis of that, if the soil, topsoil, washes off the land, if if you get not enough rain at the time that you're meant to be growing, too much sun, so it shrivels the crops, you don't have food. And and that is what we are now already experiencing with climate change, that food shortages and food disruption is becoming much, much more common. So part of the recent rises in food costs in this country are not just because of the war in Ukraine and the cost of fuel going up. The underlying trend was already up actually because of climate change.
0: So do you think that we've sort of fallen into this trap in part perhaps because our daily lives have got so separated from where our food comes from and, and yes. the way we farm and you know big pension companies owning farms that you know Joe Boggs used to own down the road. Very
1: very much so and I think as we've become more urban in Britain we're 80% urban now. Um, you know the apocryphal story but I, sadly I don't think it is apocryphal of asking kids where milk comes from and they would go from the shop. When you tell them it comes from a cow, they are astonished, stroke horrified. Mm. There are places like China where they have massively lost their bee populations and other pollinators, where they are now hand pollinating food. Mm. Now, that is okay if you've got a billion people and you've got a huge labor force, but if we get to the stage in this country where we have to hand pollinate our food because Mm. we have lost our insects, that again is going to cause the food price to absolutely rocket. We're getting a free service, a free pollination service from wasps, bees, butterflies and so on. If we lose them and they're going fast, food again will rise.
0: This is, I mean, quite exciting for people like me in our small back garden who have planted things for insects and bees. And, you know, I get so excited to go out and see who I've got four types of bee and a dragonfly and and butterflies. Even this summer, the great pleasure of discovering we had crickets in the part of the garden that we've left unmown. So for me, there's there's a real visceral pleasure in that. If Um, I can
1: observe something, your mother, as long as I have known her, has been really, really into nature. And I suspect more of that rubbed off on you than you might realise. The the, the impact of parents but then when did you start to see the connection between nature and faith because I observed that's also perhaps been a bit more recent.
0: Yeah I think I was quite slow off the mark for that one to my shame I think it wasn't until I was at Theological College a few years ago and to be honest I thought Andy was so into the environment again I better swat up on this and uh, find out exactly what he was talking about. And so I chose a module on uh, faith and the environment, which looked particularly at the Old Testament. And I remember being fascinated by the farming rules that are laid down in Leviticus. Um, I mean, it sounds a bit dry, but it's not. And it covers so many elements of what we would now know is really good farming practice, sustainable practice for biodiversity and for provision for the poor. Um, And I sort of think if we only followed these rules now, we would have a much more sustainable and fairer way of farming. And then also I think um, looking at Genesis and in particular the second Genesis narrative uh, where God creates humankind and puts them in the garden and I think that image of a garden, which is a lush, beautiful, joyful place, full of provision for humankind. And you know, the, the writers of that narrative were trying to convey the relationship that God had with humankind and with nature. Uh, which was very, very different from how the gods of the time were seen, um, you know and so this really loving and caring and providing for its relationship, it seems quite natural that it was set in a garden and I think that that has yeah been a part of 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 i suppose my living faith how i how i've learned as i've gone along mm. and, and and what about you? I mean for you, the connection. Um, between the environment and faith, did that come with a light bulb moment or was it more gradual? Yeah,
1: as I said, I, I was always very keen on nature and since early teens I've been trying to follow Jesus. But the connection between my faith specifically and the Bible and the environment came via a different route and that is I was working on international poverty issues, um, very much believing that as Christians we are called to love our neighbour, to care for the poor and the vulnerable, to, just as Jesus did, to minister to the poor and so on. absolutely convinced that the Bible has huge amounts to say about poverty, about the way we use our money, about justice. Um, all the while, loving nature, but not really making the connection until I started to, to go to many uh, countries working on tier fund projects and so on and everywhere i went they were telling me how changes in weather patterns were were destroying their harvests Um, floods because of a a whopping great hurricane the likes of which the world had never seen before i'm thinking about hurricane mitch in central america in 1998 biggest hurricane ever seen at that point killed um tens of thousands of people and washed away projects that tier fund was funding and suddenly i thought oh my goodness um here we are focusing on loving our neighbour and solving poverty but actually if we don't look after the environment that the destruction of the environment is also undermining human livelihoods and so on it's not just wrecking nature it's wrecking people so i came to the conclusion you cannot love your neighbour unless you also care for god's creation they are Mm. intimately linked Mm. and of course now fast forward 25 years what have we been seeing on our television screens wildfires floods Mm. um killer heat waves Mm. you know that destroys harvests it Mm. washes away people's livelihoods it kills people Mm. that's environmental degradation Mm. not doing the reverse of loving our neighbor so the 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 connection came around for me in short because of seeing the impact of environmental degradation on people
0: who Mm. god loves Mm. Mm. It's really interesting that because also you know how I've got involved with mental health, that wasn't primarily through nature, but through getting involved with that, I've realised how significant nature is in in our mental health i mean a lot of us saw that during covid didn't we Mm. Uh, if we were fortunate enough to have some nature on hand Mm. um and some time to enjoy it we found it very very therapeutic and you know with the mindful walks uh, which i run on monday mornings there's never a morning that we don't come back from the woods saying oh we feel so much better um so again it's back through our different routes it's back Mm. to this interconnectedness between humankind and god and the environment um, so
1: so i mean that that's interesting and i've watched you get more into the environment via that route absolutely we seems to suggest there's probably many different ways into this what are some of the questions you think people could ask themselves to find their own connection mm. between nature and faith mm.
0: well i think I think the first thing is to be honest with ourselves, you know as we've been honest, as I've been honest and say, um, as you do, I have that connection because I probably really didn't you know for many years, so do I have that connection? and then perhaps to ask God, you know, please give me that connection because everyone's different, everyone's circumstances and histories are different, um, but God knows that, and He makes those connections for us so I think yeah, to, to, to ask ourselves, do I have that connection? And, and if not, you know, Lord, would you show me? Mm. Because it's part of God revealing more of himself to us, mm. um, which is always exciting. Mm. Um, and then I think, you know, sometimes we have to uh, be a little bit firm with ourselves and think, oh, actually, maybe I've got stuck in a rut. Maybe I've got an attitude that's not helpful or maybe I'm making a lifestyle choice that's not helpful and we have to be willing to be humble um, and say, okay, I might let me try something different. Um, you know, let, let me try getting the bus um, or let me try uh, eating less meat or, uh, just, or let me try reading the paper and praying for these areas where disasters have struck. So, just a way of being open-minded, to let God work in this area mm-hmm. um, and, and see what he does. Mm-hmm. In terms of practical ideas, Andy, I know Russia had lots of things that you know, we can look up and find, but can you be, um, give us some just general mm-hmm. tips before we close about things mm-hmm. that we could do to, to make a difference?
1: Well, I think I'd start with what I think is a theological principle, though you would know better than me, which is of praising God for the beauty of his creation. Um, spending time with nature, enjoying that gift. Let's start off with enjoyment of that gift and thanking God for it. If you don't spend time doing that and you're able to, try to find a way, make more space for nature in your own life. I think it's a very good foundation. And thank the Creator God for it as you do. So that's a very good foundation. But then I think look at, areas in your home life, um, in your transport, in your financial expenditure. If you have savings, where you put those savings? Are they contributing to solutions or are they simply um, funding more fossil fuel investment and more damage to the climate? There's a whole range of things we can do in our own life. But then there's what we do in our church and our community. I'm delighted the Holy Trinity is part of the Russia Eco Church scheme. Um, That doesn't run itself, it requires people in the church to be active for this church to be a witness in Claygate for what Christians can do to care for God's environment. So get involved in the Eco Church scheme in Holy Trinity. And then lastly, use your democratic rights. The climate doesn't get a vote. Um, Disappearing wildlife doesn't get a vote. We have a vote and we can raise our voice, not just at election times, we can speak up, we can speak to our politicians, um, joining campaigns run by all sorts of reputable charities, including A Rosha, that actually tell the politicians, our elected representatives, whose salaries we pay from our taxes, what we would like them to do on our behalf. So I would really encourage people to speak up. It's totally free, doesn't cost you anything, and you're using hard-won rights to do so. Um, and if you want an idea on how to do that, the simplest thing I can say is sign up to Arash's Wild Christian Scheme. It's free and we can give you regular ideas on how to love nature, how to praise God for it, um, what you can do about nature and climate in your own home and point you towards very credible and scientifically sound campaigns that will enable you to speak to your politicians and, and, and tell them what we would like them to do on our behalf.
0: Mm. And of course, we've got the Waymaker Project coming up at Holy Trinity as well, where we're looking to open up the churchyard, use that for nature, but also for the community. And there's some mental health elements going into that as well. So I'm really excited about how that might be part of how we at Holy Trinity step forward out into the community more with this as well.
1: And and with my member of Holy Trinity hat on, um, I find this really, really exciting. One of the things I'm very aware of in my job is how many churches are now finding that if they care for God's creation very practically, for example, in managing their churchyards better for nature, how much that opens doors also with the local community. People come along go, what are you doing? What's going on here? Or people come along and say, can I help? Mm-hmm. Bridge that divide. Mm-hmm between sometimes a a forbidding church that most normal people would go into these days Mm -hmm. and a society desperate for love, Mm -hmm. desperate for hope, desperate for purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, So it it perhaps shouldn't be a surprise that when the people of God look after all of God's creation, not just themselves, actually God comes closer in a way and and brings other people closer. I'm not quite sure the theology there. I, you know, but but I have this sense that it shouldn't be a surprise that when churches look after God's creation around them people come to know God through that service
0: Shall I just close with um, a prayer if you'd join with me in a prayer Heavenly Father we want to thank you for your beautiful created world and we want to say sorry for the ways in which we have ignored it and damaged it and the ways in which we have averted our eyes from the suffering of others. Father, would you show us your heart for this beautiful world? Give us a real desire to serve you in serving the environment and lead us in your ways. Amen.